morning. Welcome back. If you were, if you were not here Monday, uh, my name's Tom McMahon, and I'll tell you just briefly about myself. I'm a kind of a mixed bag of careers here, so I'm not the uh, career model. Uh, my degrees are in industrial design, and film communication. I worked for 20th Century Fox for six years. I was a screenwriter. I adapted a James Michener novel to the screen. Uh, after that time, I gave my heart to the Lord, got involved in Christian filmmaking, worked on films such as The Godmakers, Gods of the New Age, uh, a number of films that, that you may have seen. Um, I am the co-author. I've been privileged to be a part of a number of projects, wonderful projects for the Lord. A couple of books, one called The Seduction of Christianity, and the other one called America, The Sorcerer's New Apprentice, which deals with the New Age. On Monday... I gave you a perspective regarding what I believe is a necessary preparation for success in the marketplace. I gave you a bottom line definition of what success is, in my view and I think in the Bible's view. And if you remember anything of what I discuss, what I talk about, this I would really like you to take to your heart. It's found in Hebrews 11.5, and this is, I believe, the measure of success. It says that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. That's success. I mean, think of it. To hear words like this from the one whom you love, these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is success. I said I believe that the preparation must include things such as diligence, practice, perseverance, becoming sound in basics, in the fundamentals, developing endurance. And I more than hinted that anyone pursuing a polar studies major, as I did, would be blowing a great opportunity here at Master's College. Now, if you weren't here Monday, polar studies an acronym, P-O-L-R, the path of least resistance. And I'm a little bit nervous because the biggest cheer that I heard this morning had to do with something Dr. Stead said, something related to reading day. Now, if you mean that in the best sense, praise the Lord. <laughs> this morning I want to address what I believe is a necessary preparation for success as a member of the body of Christ. And as Dave has been saying, and he's been setting me up here, he did on Monday and he did today, things that I'm going to talk about, but as Dave said, that this is something we've all been called to. This is something that affects every aspect of our life. As you might expect, the preparation for that is a clone of what I laid out for you on Monday. Diligence, Practice, perseverance, becoming sound in basics, the fundamentals, developing endurance. In essence, utilizing this place and your time here 
Okay? And it ought to be a training ground and a training place for you, applying what you're learning, not when you graduate, day to day to day to day to day. But the emphasis today is going to be on something a little different than I mentioned. The emphasis for this particular preparation should be knowing what you believe and why you believe it. And the process must include developing a Berean mentality. Now, you know that the Bereans, that's not an acronym. It's found in Acts 17.11. It says, The Bereans were, nor, excuse me, were more noble-minded, noble-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word, that is, the word which Paul preached to them, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You've got to be a Berean. But I want to add one other thing to that. We should all reflect the characteristic of the children of Issachar, whom the scriptures tell us, this is in 1 Chronicles 12.32, the children of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Well, all of the above may seem like a lot of stuff to do. It may even sound like some, even, even those not inclined toward a polar mentality, as excessive, perhaps even overkill. And I think not. And I want to explain. You know, in the things that the Lord has privileged me in, in uh, being a part of, one of those works was uh, to be able to be a co-author, a helper, really, with Dave Hunt on a book entitled The Seduction of Christianity. It was written seven years ago, and maybe some of you know it was very controversial and still has a bit of controversy about it. You see, it pointed to, <clears throat> it pointed with grave concern certain teachings, trends, practices, which were making great inroads in the Bible-believing church. It dealt with such things as positive confession, possibility thinking, inner healing, visualization, self-esteem, psychotherapy, and also a teaching by some, particularly from the Word of Faith movement, that we are gods. Now, on that point, I can remember back prior to the book, I worked on the film, The Godmakers, and Dave was working on the book, The Godmakers, Dave Hunt. And he would address evangelical churches and talk about Mormonism. Incredibly, it seems, I mean, to me, because I was involved in the research, but it was very difficult to get them to believe that Mormons actually believed that they were going to be gods. They were going to become gods, that they had that opportunity. Well, you can imagine then how much more credible, incredible, it was to tell evangelicals that many in their circles were teaching that we could become gods. Well, <clears throat> there are other similar attitudes that, that concern me. There may be those right here, right here among us, that regard some of the teachings, trends, and practices among evangelicals that I refer to, that I will refer to this morning, as either so bizarre and removed from what they believe that um, it serves little purpose even discussing them 
outside maybe of having a, a good laugh. That's how far-fetched they may be. Or there may be some that think that issues that involve too much... These issues, which I'm going to refer to, are kind of theological hair-splitting. They have no practical purpose. Well, I mention such perspectives because this is an area that really concerns me, and I believe it ought to concern each and every one of us here. And here's why. When this book came out seven years ago, we got a lot of mail, amazingly encouraging mail. And I remember getting a letter, do I remember this, a letter from a man, an inmate, a prison inmate on death row. And he wrote, someone gave, us, gave me and others on death row a copy of your book, and I'm just writing to tell you that it set me free. The man said that he'd been a Christian, gave his heart to the Lord a year previous to writing. And yet, following that time, people gave them tapes, sent them tapes, a positive confession, name it and claim it. And it impacted him and those of his brothers that were on death row. And he said, from receiving that material... It turned us around. We spent our time, our energies, claiming that God was going to get us out of here. Believing it. Working it. And then this book was given to him. And he said, you know, before I received the book, before I received the tapes from Hagen and Copeland and so on, I had a ministry. It was a ministry of intercession praying for others. And when I got that material, that ministry was destroyed. As well, not just mine, but others here. You see, a great deal of what people are being taught in the media, in the Christian media, that's my background, as I said, communications. A great deal of what they're being taught is acted upon, and they are being taught a great deal, most of which is not biblical. And the teachings are wrecking lives in wholesale fashion. Now let me give you my simple understanding of how such things impact Christian life. I believe that we are saved by grace through faith, and that became a done deal, as they say in the business. That when we believed, it became a done deal when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, His work, it was His work, that saved us. Work we could never do. He did it. He saved us, period. Yet, He gave us something to do called good works. I call them grace works on Monday because it's only through grace, I believe, that anything we do qualifies as good works. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. Even so, the unbiblical teachings, practices, and trends sweeping over Christianity today have very real, very practical, very destructive effects. For the true believer, to the degree that he or she buys into false teachings and practices, I believe that it will be to that degree his or her fruitfulness, productivity, witness, 
etc., will suffer, even be destroyed. In the NIV, in Jonah, I believe it's, well, I've got it here, 2.8, it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But what about those who have yet to come to Christ? Today's false teachings, trends, and practices, at the very least, set up a delusion related to the gospel. And at worst, they hold out to the unsaved masses another gospel, another Jesus. And you know, it's a false gospel that cannot save, a bogus Jesus that cannot save. You know, these are reasons why I think Job, or excuse me, Jude wrote that he found it necessary to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. He found it necessary. And why Paul wrote that he did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears about these things. That's Jude 3 in Acts 20, 29-31. First Timothy 1, 18-20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This is warfare. We're talking about souls here. It's spiritual warfare. Holding fast, excuse me, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. 2 Timothy 2.15-18 Be diligent to present yourselves approved, present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Hymenaeus and Philetus strayed concerning the faith. They overthrow the faith of some. Let me give you some what-ifs. As I said, we're going to have some question and answers. That's what I'm pressing to here, to, to get... To, to give you this, but then to answer your questions. But let me give you some what-ifs. I told you my background's in communications. I know all of you aren't interested in that. Some of you are. But I want you to think along these lines, particularly... Well, let me read this. Here are some what-ifs. What if Hymenaeus and Philetus had their own Christian radio show? Remember, it says they overthrew the faith of some. What if Hymenaeus and Philetus had their own Christian TV show? What if Hymenaeus and Philetus had their own Christian TV network? Well, let me give you some facts, briefly. The two top-rated, as in most popular, programs on Christian radio are hosted by a psychologist and two psychiatrists. The programming schedule for today's most powerful Christian television network reads like the index to this book, The Seduction of Christianity. 
The first American religious television program to be broadcast in Russia was a possibility thinker's delight. Not mine. Here are a few trends that are being heavily promoted in the Christian media today. Much of Christianity is setting a course to take over the world. Are you aware of that? Extreme Pentecostals expect to accomplish this through a teaching known as latter rain and manifest sons of God. The idea that God is going to pour out his spirit in the last days. He's going to raise up men and women, overcomers, manifest sons of God. And they will overcome death. And they will bring in the millennium, bring in the kingdom. Those of the positive confession movement believe the same. But this will happen and take place through speaking the creative word, a manipulation of spiritual laws, which works by the same faith, they believe, the faith that God used. We as little gods under God are said to have that ability. Restorationists and dominionists believe that we have a mandate to take back dominion from Satan that was lost at the Garden of Eden. Reconstructionists, who are theonomists and nearly all post-millennial, post-millennialists, believe that only through the application of God's laws by Christians will this earth be restored to a paradise. Now, I hope you're running way ahead of me on this, but let me give you just some of the ramifications. First of all, there is no rapture. It's an escape theory. Christ is held in the heavenlies. He will not and cannot return until the church takes over. Present Israel is of no consequence. The church is the true Israel. And of course, and you know this must be, all of the book of Revelation has already taken place. People are buying into this in masses. Here are some miscellaneous but connected items. How many of you are planning to move into youth ministry? Okay, there's some. Within the very popular vineyard movement, which belongs to the restoration adherence, there are doctrines being promoted directed at youth. Some are referred to as Joel's army and the new breed. The idea is that God is raising up prophets and apostles in these last days, such as those in the Kansas City Fellowship, which is now a part of the vineyard movement. However, their main purpose is to promote the teaching of prophecy among children who will become the real power prophets of the end times. Such conferences are so-called, and so-called schools of prophets are cropping up all over the country teaching young people, that is, the new breed, how to hear from God. Now, this may seem so bizarre as to be funny, but I've gotten letters from youth pastors around the country who have had young kids who have attended these conferences, who have heard voices, and they can't re get rid of these voices. What about some non-charismatic mysticism? Richard Foster, maybe some of you are aware of that name. He is the award-winning author of best-selling book, Celebration of Discipline. And he heads up an organization and movement to restore historic forms of spirituality through the forgotten practices of Christian, that is, mostly Catholic, mystics. The movement organization is called Renovare, and it's Latin, meaning to make 
new spiritually. And it promotes the meditative, contemplative, and visualization practices along with the teachings and devotions of the early so-called Christian mystics. A major agenda is unity in the body of Christ through spiritual exercises. Here are some of the names on the board of reference. You may know some of these, you may not. Anthony Campolo, Calvin Miller, David Maine, J.I. Packer, Lloyd John Ogilvie, Ron Sider, Ted Engstrom, David Allen Hubbard, Richard Felix. You know, I don't have time to get into the staggering wave of ecumenism that's being promoted in the Christian media. But I do want to mention a few things, and this is of late and a great concern to me, and I hope to all of you. There's a major effort right now among leading evangelicals to develop co-evangelism programs with the Roman Catholic Church. Leading lay Catholic and also clerical apologists are addressing large charismatic conferences and successfully calling Protestants to repentance regarding their biases as related to the Roman Catholic Church and its doctrines. According to Catholic diocesan newspapers in St. Louis, New York, and New Jersey, Billy Graham's crusades in those cities last year were supported by the respective dioceses, both financially and with Catholic counselors. You know, I believe, if the Lord tarries, that we're going to see a major exodus from or by evangelicals to the Roman Catholic Church under the umbrella of Rome. Now, what am I doing here? Am I being an alarmist? What does this have to do? Let me see how my time's going. What does this have to do with, with us here? I mean, isn't this a time in which we're entering the marketplace, a career? Some of you are going into ministry. Some of you are going to going into missions. But you're going to have to recognize that there is a flood of doctrines and teachings being communicated to people that they may not believe the same as you, but you're going to have to minister to them. And you're going to have to know what you believe and why you believe it. You're going to have to be a Berean. You're going to have to be a child of Issachar in the sense that I read. Because you're going to have to help them, rescue them. James 5, 19-20 Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We're here to be a blessing. We're here to share God's love, God's truth with people. And we've got to do it in a right way, with meekness, as, as, Timothy, as we find in Timothy, as Paul wrote to Timothy. But we've got to know what's out there. You see, Dave, I said he set me up a little bit. This notice that he got from the humanist, humanist, secular humanists, they've got some things to complain about. You know, it was secular humanists that put the finger on some so-called evangelist, Peter Popoff, if you remember. Those were secular humanists that nailed that gun. Maybe you saw the, uh, the news report on three other television evangelists 
Folks, that's our job. In love, in truth, by God's grace. But that's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. And God will enable us if we have a heart for it. Now, I mentioned that there were a number of things that, uh, you know, background, my background and so on. If you've got any questions, if you'd like to ask me any questions, you know, feel free. We've got two mics up here. You know, if you want to know how to get into the film industry. Well, I'll tell you right away. The, the uh, polar way is you find a producer and you offer yourself up for adoption because nepotism is still a strong way to get in. And in, one, in some cases, it's the only one. But if you write, if you have a heart, if you want to see the medium used to reflect some truth, to reflect things other than silence of the lambs, here's an opportunity. But I want to tell you this. It is a struggle. And this is a little bit why I talked about your training here and your ability and to build endurance. Look at the media. I talked about how it affects lives out there. It can also affect lives with truth. But the battle to get in isn't just because of what Hollywood or what the networks represent now. But on a spiritual level, to use this medium that will touch millions of lives doesn't come easy. I mentioned that people who tried to, who moved into the industry and had some success, a lot of them have stumbled and fallen, had their faith shipwrecked. And I believe because they weren't prepared. Now, you know, it is by God's grace and God will open the doors and He will make available and it will be a major work of His to enable you to do that and to open those doors. But it's a battle. Some of you say, well, I'm not going to go into that. But I am concerned about Christian media. I am concerned about what I hear. Some of you are going to be pastors, maybe. You know, you're going to be spending an hour before your congregation, maybe if you do a Wednesday night service and so on. You're going to be spending very little time with them, teaching them, compared to what they're going to be getting from Christian, the time they'll be spending with Christian television, Christian radio, and so on. You know, way back when, when it was just a small church, when media wasn't, didn't have such an impact, corrections could be made. You'd have an evangelist come to your church, and the elders or the pastor would make corrections. How do we correct this beast, in effect, that promotes whatever, says whatever? How do you do it? Well, you write to them. You get on the horn. You do what you can do. But if you don't do that, you better know what they're promoting. You better know what, if you're a pastor, what your congregation is being taught. If you're ministering in a Bible study, you better know what's being promoted. Because unless 
it conforms to the Word of God, it's not going to have good effect. It's not going to be fruitful and productive. And you ought to have a heart for those who are receiving this. In love, in humility, speak the truth and bring them correction. Let me pray. If any would like to come up afterwards, I, I will be here okay, to answer any of your questions. Father, we do thank You for Your love to us, for Your grace, for Your mercy, for opportunities. I thank You for each and every one here, Lord. I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, give them a zeal for You, a zeal with knowledge. I pray that You would strengthen them. I pray that You would encourage them to steadfastness in the faith. I pray, Lord, that You would help them to redeem their time here, that it might be fruitful and productive, that they might apply these things. I pray, Lord, that You would give them a Berean heart, a heart for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that as they, even today, as they go forth, Lord God, that they might be a renewal, a recommitment to You to do the things, to be obedient. And then, Lord, I pray by Your Spirit that You would show them encouragement that You would let them see, even today, fruitfulness and productive because they have not only followed You and committed to You, but they have obeyed You, Lord. So it's to this end I pray, and I pray that they might have a great day in Your name.